Hello guys, welcome back to the MMA Soccer Channel. My name is Fraser Crone and I'm joined by a woman that I'm sure many of you recognise. She's the record holder for most finishes and fights in flyweight history and a woman who, after her last fight, admitted that she's coming for Charles Oliveira's crown, Gillian Robertson. Gillian, how's things? Uh, things are going great. Uh, obviously, um, super hyped off my last win, super hyped to get a new um, opponent coming up. I couple months out still but uh just excited to have a fight matchup <laughs> yeah yeah i was uh, we'll go on to talk about your upcoming you know i think it's, it's in april am i am i right in thinking yeah Correct, yeah yes. so we'll, we'll go on to talk about that fight um a little bit later on but i was just watching errol hawani's show before before we went live and he had michael chandler on there talking about the uh his upcoming um ultimate fighter season with with obviously with uh, against coaching against mcgregor that was announced at the weekend i thought it'd be a missed opportunity not to speak to you someone who's been there quite literally has been in the house um so how, you know how was your experience on the show i know it was a good few years ago now and we've we're way past the ultimate fighter stage where we're we're looking at, at title contention at top 10 top 15 uh, top 10 top 5 contention for yourself but you know you've got the experience so how do you think those two guys will, will sort of clash when uh when they're in the house uh so the ultimate fighter for me i feel like it was like probably one of the best and one of the worst experiences of my life because i'm like it's so awesome whenever you're in the gym and you're surrounded by eight to ten other girls who all have the same goal as you they're all as dedicated as you they just want to work hard and you have probably five or six coaches there every single day who have all eyes on you. So you're getting the best work in the world. And that's just like, there's nowhere in the world that you're going to get work. Like you get in the tough house, but then you go back to the house and there's no phone, no music, no TV, no books, absolutely nothing to do. And it's just so boring. So I feel like it, it would, it's so awesome for the training aspect. So like hard for the, I guess, social aspect of it. But that being said, I think that Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor are going to really bring like the heat in the social aspect. I think there's going to be a lot of shit talk and I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm, you know, I'll admit that the last couple of series, you know, I've, I've sort of, I followed it along, but I haven't been, you know, intently watching. I think this season, like you say, they'll bring the shit talking, so it's definitely one not to be missed. I think I'm, I'm, I'm right in thinking that obviously your um, coaches were were Alvarez and and uh, Gaethje, so you know there wasn't too much bad blood between the two until obviously they then fought. But you know, do you think that? How much of a, an aspect do you think that plays the 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 coaches um, sort of not getting along? You know, we had what Rampage and Rashad. We've had you know McGregor has even been on it before against UFA. There's a little bit of needle between them, despite the fact that they weren't going to fight. How much of an aspect do you think that plays on on you guys, the fighters, in there? I think it might play a little bit of an aspect. Um, no matter what, we're there to fight each other at the end of the day. So I feel like you definitely saw that in our season, even though the coaches weren't sitting there in, in each other's faces. But I also feel like the fact that they are going to be in each other's faces and talking is going to be it, – it's like the ultimate fighter almost brings that, like, team aspect out where you do feel that you get wrapped up in that world and think you are a part of, like, Team McGregor, Team Chandler, even though, like, it doesn't matter in the long – like, in the end of things, it's – team robertson you know we're going for yourself yeah so for it's sure like, it's, it's easy to get wrapped up in that though when you're in the tough house so it's like i feel like it might build more animosity just between the fighters of both teams yeah for sure and you know looking further down the line obviously you're focused on your upcoming fight in april 
would coaching on on tough be something that you think you'd be interested in if if the opportunity arose or or is that a little bit you know like like you said i think the coaches have a little bit more flexibility as far as being allowed to sort of not have well not being forced to live in the house like you guys were do you think you'd be interested in a coaching role further down the line oh yeah i think that'd be an opportunity you can't pass up i think any fighter would love to do that it's just such an awesome opportunity such cool exposure and I don't know. It, it really is just a cool opportunity to be able to have an experience like that. Yeah, for sure. So, so as I alluded to earlier, obviously we, we know that you're the, the record holder at Flyweight, and we, we've said that you've got a fight coming up in, in April. Am I right in thinking this is a strawweight fight, not a flyweight fight? Yes, it is. It's going to be my first fight in the UFC at strawweight. <laughs> yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit about that. So, so what's the, where did that kind of come from? Because we've never seen you really, well, as far as I'm concerned, we've never seen you really struggle to make the weight. You you never sort of missed weight and you've never been one of these people that have had to rely on the, the towel. So why why the move down to, to 115? Um, I'm just, when I first got signed with the UFC, I was, I guess, doing a little bit more of lifting. So I was probably carrying a little bit more muscle, walking a little bit heavier. I was probably walking around like 145 then when I first signed, where now my last three or four camps, I think it, it's been where I've been walking 132. When it comes to fight week, I'm like 128, maybe sweating two or three pounds out. It's like the weight cuts are very simple, very easy. And it's like, I don't even have to think of it, which I'm a huge fan of. But it's also a lot of these girls that I am fighting, like even my last matchup, Maria Agbohova. I'm like, I remember when I trained with her at ACT, her telling me that she was walking like 150, which I'm assuming she came into the fight around that because she was. Yeah, she looked big when you, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, just a lot of these girls, they're they're a lot bigger than me. And I feel like I'm just a lot smaller than I used to be. So uh, I just thought it was the right time in my career, right opportunity and um, ready to make a title run at 115. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting times for for Team Savage, without a doubt. And do you think how much of a, an aspect do you think? Obviously, we we saw you at Fury grappling a few weeks about you know it was about a month ago ish. Um, when when you obviously took on Rose Namajunas, and you know I I think on paper it was former strawweight champion. You know all of this. We know we you know we've seen these flying arm bars from from Rose Namajunas. And then we've seen that you've got the record for most flyweight finishes. Like we expected a really, well, personally, I expected a much closer matchup than it was. And you seem to sort of just handle it with ease. Do you think that, you know, did that play any sort of factor with the consideration down to Stroy to see how sort of, how how easy it was that you, you handled the former, not just a, a strawweight, the former strawweight champion, how, you know, it was what, less than a minute, I think, from what I, from off the top of my head. And, you know, did that make you realize how how sort of the, the maybe size and strength advantage would play a part in uh, in your actual like MMA? Obviously, you know it's, it's grappling; it's slightly different, but you know size is size at the end of the day. Uh, it was actually after my last fight that we were we were. I don't. It's been in consideration for a long time, I guess. My last couple fights because I've been so tiny because I haven't had to cut weight at all. So um, my last couple fights, I feel like I've had a lot of voices like. The UFCPI has been trying to get me to go to 115. I've had uh, different coaches, different friends, you know, just everybody trying to tell me to go to 115. And um, I, I just finally said, fuck it, and uh, decided that we're going to try it at least once. We're going to see how I feel, see how the weight cut goes. 
So I'm not 100% sold on straw weight forever if it doesn't go well for me. If I don't like the, like, if it is too hard of a weight cut, if it, I don't feel good performing because of the weight cut, whatever the reason is, I, I'm just going to give it the chance because I feel like uh, I have a lot of, a lot of people who wanted, who've wanted me to do this for a while. So uh, it was definitely a plan before I grappled Rose. But even uh, in the matchup with Rose, me and her both weighed in the exact same. So I think that shows that, like, I- I'm about the size of a straw weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, on on paper, you've got this this huge flyweight against a straw weight. But like you say, you weighed in the same. And you know, at the end of the day, skill kind of you know going back to to UFC one, it's it's the skill that that will prevail. How so? How are we? How are you looking at doing the the weight cut? Is it going to be sort of a slow dieting down pro protest until you sort of you know go into fight week at you know you, like you say you were one thirty two uh, going into fight week against uh, Maria Agpafa? Are you going to look to go sort of uh, just ten pounds lighter? Are you going to diet down or are you going to um, maybe look for you know a slightly bigger sort of water weight cut during fight week? Ideally, I would like to have the smallest water weight cut I could possibly have. So I'm going to, I figured if I make it hard for me right now, make life suck a little bit right now, I'll make it easier in that last week. So I'm dieting extremely strict right now. I'm running multiple times a week. I'm really just like upping the cardio and cutting out anything bad. So I, I want to make this, it's like, I, I hope I don't have to cut too much water weight. I, I Ideally, I would like to be able to diet down and be able to do it as healthy as possible and make it an easy as easy as possible. I'm like, I don't want to say an easy weight cut because it's going to suck no matter what, <laughs> but make it as easy as possible. Yeah, for sure. So, so looking ahead, obviously like, like, like we've been going on about, it's not until, uh, the sort of, it, it, not until April. So we've got, you know, the rest of, you know, only in sort of mid February, we've got all of March, but looking ahead to your opponent, uh, Pierre Rodriguez, you know, for for you personally, when when looking ahead at, at, at her, are you game planning a specific sort of game plan to beat her, or are you looking at just general improvements on yourself, on your own game, how to get a little bit sharper here, a little bit better here, learn this new move, learn that new move? Uh no, I focus on all that stuff outside of camp. So in camp, we're focused on Pierre. We're focused on what I need to do to beat her and the game plan that we're going to use to approach because. We want to make it so it's like second nature to me. So when I walk into the cage, I don't even have to think about it. I know that whatever our game plan is, I'm just running it because it's all I've drilled for the last two months. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, she she is uh, she is undefeated and she will be riding a lot of confidence. But how, you know, how much do you, you know about her? Because she hasn't been in the UFC nearly as long as yourself and nearly as long as a lot of the girls that sort of in and around the, the straw it mix. Do you know, obviously, that's that's enough tape on her for you to get a good gauge of how she's going to try and approach the fight. But how much do you sort of know about her and where do you think your advantages lie, you know, over her? Uh, I think in any fight, it's pretty obvious where I think my advantages lie. Um, Obviously, I think on the ground, uh, I think I just outmatch any girl. I think it's going to be a completely different level. I think she is a very good boxer. Uh, She has, she's versatile with her takedown. She's not scared to take it to the ground. Um, I don't think she'll be scared to take me down either. I think that maybe like she'll finish the rounds trying to take me down. Uh, she's tough as shit and she's, uh, 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 uh she's smart. She makes a, a lot of smart choices. So she's definitely a tough fight and that's why she stayed undefeated for so long. But, um, I'm definitely trying to take that away from her. Yeah, for sure. She, you maybe, you maybe won't be her biggest fan once you take that O away from her in, in April. 
And as you alluded to uh, earlier, obviously, you, you're sort of working towards that game plan, so it becomes second nature. And we've seen a lot on your social media that you're training with Hannah Goldie. So can you just talk a little bit about that, like how that came about? Obviously, you know, a lot of UFC fighters and, and, and you know, professional MMA fighters want to have, you know, like-minded people in and around them. So how did uh, training with Hannah Goldie sort of come about and, and how's it going, uh, you know, heading into this fight? So uh, Hannah and I were actually both of us made our pro debuts against each other. So we fought each other uh, for our first pro fight. And then I think about a year after that, we connected and started training together. And the last probably you know, like five years, at least, we've been back and forth training with each other always. She lives up in Orlando. I live in Miami. So we're like about three hours drive difference. So it's hard to get, uh, get up there, her to get down here all the time. But uh, she's probably one of my best training partners. My hardest round, like, I remember last time I sparred with her at Fusion after the round, uh, Hudolfo Vieri came up to her and was like, do you guys not like each other? And she was like, no, we're best friends. What do you mean? And he's like, why do you spar each other like that? <laughs> yeah, so no no, no going easy on each other. I, I guess, you know, iron sharpens iron. And, you know, obviously, is, is she, she going to be, she's obviously one of, like you say, one of your main training partners ahead of your, your upcoming fight. Uh, she's definitely going to be coming down here a lot. I'm going to be trying to get as many girls as I can to just come through. I, uh, at my gym currently at the Goat Shed in Miami, we have uh, a good team of 125-pound boys, but we, we're still like trying to develop a stronger girls team. So I'm just bringing in girls from wherever I can so I can get different looks, different rounds. Yeah, for sure. And, and heading into into your next bout, we, you know, we've seen you... I'm not sure if many other people have picked up on it. It's something I picked up on that I think is fascinating from from your sort of career. Is that you don't have a big, a big team, a big sort of a corner team. A lot of the time, you have sort of one, or or maybe just you know, a lot of the time you just have the one person. I think when you came over, you know, I'm from the UK. When you came over to Liverpool to fight Molly, although you were the bad guy in that one, and it went quite well for you. You know, you beat the hometown girl, but you only had sort of one or maybe two sort of corner team people. What's the sort of theory behind that? why you don't have, you know, several different sort of voices in your ear? Um, I, I I think it's too late to have voices in your ear at that time. I think, like, I've honestly, when I fought in Prague against Veronica Macedo, I brought just one of my friends in my corner. Mm, she, yeah, that was maybe the one I was alluding yeah. to. I get them mixed up, yeah. Oh, I, well, against Molly McCann, I had my head coach in my corner, and he was the only one, so mm. I had one corner there. Oh, right. But when in, in Prague, I had... um this girl Kayla Rocco who is my main drilling partner but she had never cornered an amateur fight never cornered a professional fight and cornered me for the first time ever in the UFC so I'm like for me it doesn't matter who's in the corner it's just I need someone to warm me up I need someone to get me ready to walk out there because I should be ready by the time the cage door closes like I can have a million voices screaming on the outside but it's like I have to know what to do I have to make the decisions so it doesn't make a difference to me I should be prepared for that moment no matter what yeah, for sure, and and I mean, I think I'm from off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure that they both went the same way, both rear naked choke victories. So you're doing something right by just having your uh, your friend and then your your head coach in your corner. Has your friend uh, cornered you since? Um, I think I don't think she has, but I've had different people. Like I've constantly changed up my corner. I'm like, but like I said, for me, it's not a huge deal about who's in my corner. It's about who's in my camp, who's helping me get ready for it, who's like. Like, so we're about nine weeks out right now. So for the next nine weeks, that's what matters to me is who's helping me prepare. Because when that cage door closes, it's like it's just me and Piera in there. 
nobody else is going to save me. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for your friend to retire at one and oh, you know, one successful corner, she's not, she's not too bad for someone that's never done it before. You know, maybe she's going down as one of the best head coaches ever. Um, <laughs> is, so we, we obviously we knew that, or we know that you, you were work, you used to work a lot with Dean Thomas. Is he still sort of on the scene? He's still training with, with Dean Thomas or, or is that sort of that broken down slightly? Oh no, he's still a huge part of my career. Um, I, was literally just training with him about an hour ago now um dean uh he'll still be in my corner every fight i don't work on with, with him as often as i used to uh just because he's so busy he's all yeah, over the yeah, place yeah. he's flying to every other fight every other weekend and it's like it's so hard to really put full time into a pro fighter when he's out of town every weekend so um he works with me when he can and he's still a huge part of my career and where did that relationship kind of start? Was that from for your days at, a at ATT? So uh, Dean actually had two ATT affiliate schools in Port St. Lucie. So about two hours north of uh, Coconut Creek, where the big ATT school mm. is. And um, that's where I started training when I was 16 years old. So uh, it was just kind of, I was 16. I wanted to try kickboxing and it was the only place close to us. And I kind of, just happened to walk into the right place yeah for sure and it's obviously it's a relationship that's gelled really well because it's I mean it's been beneficial for you both you've you're, you you know you've picked up some huge wins in the UFC obviously you know you've you've spoken about it a couple of times uh on 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 here Florida you're in Florida and obviously we got the news over the weekend that 287 will be in Florida we're not looking past Pierre Rodriguez because we you know that's not something that we do but uh, have you got that in the back of your mind ever so slightly that you you maybe want to try and you know get in and get out without any damage in this one and look look ahead to that Florida card in a, in a uh, in is it in a, is it before your card or no it's it's actually the week before my card the week before of course you know I forget that <laughs> well, yeah. I'm gonna be cutting weight and mad there's yeah. gonna be a UFC in Miami for the first time in 20 years I was so upset that when I found out about that so what you're like I mean you could I. Can can you go to the event? Is it is it going to be one of those I, where you can go, but you maybe not in the best moods? No one cross you. I don't know. I'm like I could go, but I'm assuming at that point I just won't want to. It's yeah. not going to be something that I I just won't have the energy. It's not something <laughs> I'm going to want to invest my time into when I'm a week out and probably in one of the worst moods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So you know, obviously, like you say, it's the week before your fight. So unfortunately, we won't see you there, but. You know, that's, I guess we'll get a real push to uh, to not wait, uh, not wait for another 20 years for a pay-per-view in Miami, just so that we can get you in, in your home state of Florida competing again. Your fight is in April. So assuming that, you know, everything goes to plan, the weight cut goes fairly smoothly. How do you see 2023 playing out after this? Because, you know, it's the, the first the first quarter. Obviously, we've been all focused around this fight and just this fight. But progressing on from there. Like I say, assuming that this one goes goes your way, and you know you don't take any any damage in this one, how do you see the rest of your twenty twenty three playing out? I guess it depends how smoothly the weight cut feels and how well it goes. Because um, I would say at least two or three, uh, oh, at least one or two more fights after this. So uh, just I would like to have two to three fights this year, depending on how tough it feels on my body. Cause if I, if it, the weight cut is bad on my body, I might need to take the time a little bit to just get my body prepped to go through that again. So, um, yeah, I would say at least uh, one or two more fights and that hopefully 
uh, be getting something maybe in the top 15 after this one. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, like, like, like we say, we don't, you don't want to look past your opponent because if you look past your opponent, that's where, where sort of, you know, complacency maybe begins to kick in. But how do you think you match up with the girls in the, in the top five? Like, you know, we know there's, there's, there's no, you know, there's, there's facts. Most finishes in UFC flyweight history, your ground game is dangerous. So how do you think you match up with some of the girls, you know, in, in and around the top, top sort of five top ten because you've got the likes of you know Carlos Espada who's one of these relentless wrestlers who will more than likely let's say you face her she'll look to take you down Mackenzie Dern you know her submission game is you know quite quite famous within within the UFC for her, her work you know outside of the UFC and and within the UFC so how do you think you match up with some of the girls sort of you know higher up in the division assuming that this one goes well and you do get that top 15 spot that you're that you're after Oh, I think I match up very well with a lot of those girls, especially like the two you just mentioned, Carla Esparza. I'm like, I'm someone who I'm like, okay, go ahead, take me down. Let me work my guard. <laughs> let me work my submission. So I'm more than happy to take that fight. And then Mackenzie Jern, I feel like she's the only girl I will honestly say that I do respect her jujitsu. And I do think that she, if it was a straight jujitsu match, 100% jujitsu, that she would give me work. But this is MMA. I'm like, you got to get the fight to the floor first, which I feel like she wouldn't be able to do with me. I feel like I'd be able to work on my feet or defend uh, takedowns well enough and then be able to execute my grappling later in that matchup. But uh, all of them, no matter what, I feel like they're all good matches for me. Anyone in the top 15, I've already been looking at just waiting. I want those matchups. Yeah, like you say, this strawweight move has been in in the sort of pipeline for a while now. And now that your friends, your friends and family have given you that push, it's uh, it's time to go sort of full organs blazing into into twenty. Well, organs blazing into April, and then hopefully organs blazing into the top fifteen. Just just looking slightly ahead to this weekend, while I've got you here, Makachev versus Volkanovski. How do you see that one going down? Obviously, you know they're, they're fighting for pound for pound greatness. Um, how do you see that one going down? Who have you who have you got to to win that one? I think everybody I talk to says the same thing. And I feel like I agree with this. Everybody wants Volkanovski to win, but doesn't think it's going to happen. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, it's the same with me. A lot of people I've spoken to want, want Volkanovski, but think Makachev might get the dub. No, I agree with it 100%. I'm like, I would love to see Volk win, like pull this off, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I see Makachev coming out successful. Yeah, for sure. Well, like I say, thank you for your time. Um, we really appreciate you giving up your time to speak to us today. Best of luck in April, and hopefully we can catch up after April, after you've got yet another submission win to to notch on the on the bedpost, as it were, and then uh, you know we can look ahead to a top fifteen uh, top fifteen matchup after that. Of course, thank you so much for having me. Thank you.